having MS doesn't mean that you should stop running or that you won't be able to run. Again, some of my clients that are still marathoners have had MS anywhere from five to 15 years, and it just hasn't affected them in that way. So they are able to continue running. If you have ever asked yourself, how do I run a race injury-free or get out of the constant injury cycle, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Healthy Runner, where I will teach you how to enjoy lifelong injury-free running so you can continue getting in those mental clearing runs and even hitting PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid half marathoner, coach, running physical therapist, and founder of Spark Physical Therapy Healthy Runner where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you have been told to stop running with an injury. Learn more about our signature coaching program at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow the show on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Are you a runner who has recently been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis or have you had MS and you're thinking about starting to run? Do you have multiple sclerosis and have goals of improving your mobility, energy, and motivation? Today, I have with me a very special guest and colleague of mine, Dr. Gretchen Hawley, who is a physical therapist. She's a certified multiple sclerosis specialist creator of The Missing Link, a MS wellness program, and has been a keynote speaker at several Living Well with MS events and sponsored by the MS Society, in addition to MS Views and News. Welcome to the Healthy Runner podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. Today, I have with me, um, like I said, an MS expert uh, who is going to really provide some clarity for you um, with your running if you're looking to start running or you've been a runner for a while and you have recently been diagnosed. Gretchen, thank you so much for accepting my invite. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So in this episode, guys, Gretchen's going to really provide you with like a runner's guide to keep logging those miles safely, even if you've been recently diagnosed with MS or you've had MS for a while and you want to start running. So Gretchen's going to really talk about like what is MS can someone with MS run? Does running make MS worse? Um, what exercises are important with MS? And then, you know, if you are getting foot drop with your running, we're going to talk about how to manage that and some tips for that. And then also any other special considerations that you should consider um, when running with MS. So Gretchen on the show, we always start with a little dynamic warm up to get things started uh, like we would before our runs. So can you tell the listeners kind of where you call home and give us a little bit of backstory of how you've gotten to this point in your career as a physical therapist who really specializes in working with individuals who have MS? Of course. So I am based near Buffalo, New York. I was actually living in Boston, Massachusetts for about 10 years, but recently, right before COVID actually, moved back to my hometown near Buffalo. So that's where I am currently. 
And I became an MS specialist when I was in Boston. That's where I went to physical therapy school. And my very first job out of PT school had a sister company that had an MS program. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but it's very rare to have a physical therapist that's also an MS specialist. So this sister program that we had was in Rhode Island, which was about an hour and a half away. And so many people were going to that clinic, even from different states. And so our CEO was like, hey, this is a really common disease in this area. Let's start up another program. And I had always been more interested in neuro-based diagnoses in PT school, even though I felt they were the most challenging <laughs> to learn and study for. Um, so Definitely immediately, <laughs> as soon as, yeah, as soon as we were told that they were interested in opening an MS program, I decided to learn everything I could about it and just really dive in. And then it's just kind of took off from there. That's awesome. And yeah, I remember, you know, when I actually started my career as a physical therapist, I actually worked at a local kind of right near me here in Connecticut. For those in Connecticut, they'll fam be familiar with Gaylord Hospital. But in the beginning of my career for like first year or two, I actually treated a lot of um, individuals with MS and it was, you know, definitely an interesting, um, you know, population to work with. And you always had to be creative in, you know, the treatments that you implemented. And I just love how you really kind of found that passion. Um, and honestly, pretty early in your career, it sounds like, like uh, you look a lot younger than I am. Um, so I'm imagining, you know, you found really your passion. Um, luckily, a lot earlier than I did. Uh, it took me a little bit longer in my physical therapy journey, uh, 19 years now um, to find, you know, my niche of really working with runners. But um, have you ever run yourself in the past? I have, you know, I, I always was a soccer player and I never considered myself a runner, like running on the field felt very different than just going for a run. So I didn't really run for enjoyment until I put on a bucket list that I wanted to run a half marathon. And I don't even know why, because I didn't enjoy running that much back then. I just sounded like the coolest thing, like so <laughs> accomplished if you could run a half marathon. So I put that on my bucket list. I was like, I might as well start training for one. Why not? So I did it. And I did feel that sense of accomplishment. So now I've ran six half marathons instead Ooh. of just one. Okay. So yeah, it is something that I enjoy. Nice. Um, so when was the last one that you ran? The last one, let's see, it was about a year before COVID. So does that make it three or four years ago now? Yeah, I guess probably Lost three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. So you definitely have some experience as a runner and training and, um, you know, you know what it feels like to, you know, work up to that 13.1 distance. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah, no, this is going to be a good conversation. I would imagine, you know, you've had clients of yours that you've worked with who were runners or looking to kind of get started with running before. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Nice. Yeah. And I, yeah, this is awesome because it, we're really going to kind of get into this topic of how does an individual, um, you know, begin that journey of running with MS. So I guess if you can just share with our listeners, um, first off, if they're really not familiar with this diagnosis, um, you know, what is MS? 
Yeah, so that's a great starting point. So MS is an autoimmune disease, which basically just means your body is attacking itself and it causes a lot of inflammation. So when you have MS, what happens is that inflammation in your body causes your nerves to not work the way that they should be working. That's a really broken down way to explain what's happening. And when that happens, it can cause so many different symptoms. One of the biggest ones that you notice day to day, and especially when you're exercising is weakness. You may have been walking fine and then you're diagnosed with MS and you start to notice certain muscles and movements feel and look different, like walking, stair climbing. So weakness is a big one, but it could also be sensory changes like numbness, tingling, pins and needles. It could be vision changes, poor balance. There's, I think, a list of like 80 possible symptoms from MS. And as you said just a bit ago, one reason I love working with people with MS is because it is so different. So every day is different. You might notice a decent amount of weakness today, but tomorrow you're not as weak. And the next day might be even better. So it's, you never know what you're going to get, but it all stems from those neural pathways, not working the way they should from inflammation. Okay. And that inflammation could be, now this is taking me back a while to my neuro uh, (laughs) training way back when, could be of the brain and the spinal cord, or is it just the brain? It could be brain and or spinal cord. So for some people, there's inflammation just in the brain, for others, just the spinal cord. And for others, it's a mix of both. Okay. And then I do remember, and I wonder if this has changed as well. Of uh, I remember there being like two main forms or classifications of like a progressive form versus like relapsing, remitting. Do they even call it that anymore? Are those like the, the types? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few more sub classifications. Generally speaking, there's a relapsing type and a progressive type, but sometimes relapsing can turn into progressive. So there's a little bit of carryover there, but yeah, generally speaking, one type is where you'll have relapses, but remission. So you'll have a flare of one or several symptoms that might last a month or two, but then you come into remission and you're either back to where you were before or still having some symptoms, but much, much less than during the relapse. And that can either turn into progressive or you can just start off with a progressive type of MS. With those ones, you don't have the relapses. There's less up and down and more of just a steady progression of the disease. But that looks so different for everyone. There's some people who have have a very quick progression and then others you would never know they've had ms for 20 years so it's so unique for each person okay yeah interesting and i would imagine there's you know the severity varies right you can have someone who just has maybe some mild symptoms of tingling or maybe they notice their balance and coordination's a little off versus the extreme of someone could be wheelchair bound right Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Yeah. There's it's the, the entire spectrum. I have clients who are wheelchair bound. I have other clients who are still running marathons and everyone in between. So it's a big variety. Okay. All right. No, I think that definitely kind of sets the table here and just describes for those that, um, you know, didn't know much about MS or even those that have friends, right. Or family members who are, you know, have this diagnosis. I think that kind of helps um, understand a little bit. 
Let me just jump in here to take a moment to share a really neat product that will help you stay safe while running. Knox Gear is all about runner safety, and I am pumped to have them as a supporter of this episode because in case you haven't realized, we are all about runner health and safety here. Knox Gear's signature product, the Tracer 360, keeps me safe and lit up from all directions during my 5.30 a.m. runs. Running doesn't need to be painful, and it sure doesn't need to be risky and dangerous. Running should be that outlet that provides us that mental clarity we need to be the best human we can be to those around us, whether it's our family, our coworkers, or those in our communities. Using the Tracer 360 is going to make sure that you are visible during all of your runs so cars will be able to see you right away and you will feel much safer. How do you get your hands on a Tracer 360? Just use the code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order at knoxgear.com and you will receive 35% off your purchase. Go ahead and give Knoxgear a try. Trust me, you will never feel safer while running. Now let's get back into this episode. And what age does MS usually start? Because we're not like born with MS, right? No, there is pediatric MS, which basically just wow. means you're diagnosed at a younger age. But generally speaking, the time frame in which people are diagnosed are between the ages of 20 and 50. Now, that's a really big variety. And I will say, too, technology is getting so much better. So I do find that people are being diagnosed earlier, more like 20s and 30s. I don't think it's because it's a higher prevalence. I just think technology is so much better that we're catching it earlier. So many of my clients up until a few years ago really would tell me that they were diagnosed in you know 1990, but their first symptom was in 1980. So that's two very different questions of when were you diagnosed, but when did you first start experiencing symptoms? Right. And yeah, no, I, I think this is really the main reason why I wanted to bring you on here today is because I, I do remember seeing clients, you know, at the beginning of my career who were in their 30s or 40s, and they were high functioning marathoners, right? Or running half marathons. And then they had this like sudden change to their life, right? Whether it was, you know, they had a relapse or they, you know, been having these symptoms build for a while. And now they finally gotten the answers, right? That they were looking for. Um, so that, that was kind of really my goal of bringing you on today is to, you know, help educate our audience and, you know, those that are, are still active, those that are still running, um, you know, when they get this diagnosis, um, you know, how, how can we manage it with like special considerations? You know, it's not necessarily a, you know, you can never be active again diagnosis um, from at least following all of your great work on Instagram, I've learned. Um, so do we know exactly why people do get MS yet or not really? Not really. There's thoughts in research that it could be due to low vitamin D levels. So for those people living further from the equator, if you have lived near industrial toxins, there's actually a recent study just January of this past year that showed a high, high prevalence that one of the number one risk factors is the Epstein-Barr virus, which is mono, the kissing disease. But even that's a little tricky because so many people get the Epstein-Barr virus or EBV and never develop MS. But what they found in this study was that everyone, 100% of the people who had MS did have Epstein-Barr. So 
that is now thought to be one of the considerations as well. Interesting. Very mm -hmm. interesting. And you all, you know, wonder in like what, five or 10 years from now, right? Like how much, you know, all this COVID stuff, right? Is that going to wind yeah. up being a variable that, you know, plays a role in some form or fashion, whether those with long COVID or, you know, yeah. if you were had more severe symptoms, right? Like, is it going to put us more at risk for developing things like MS? Um, I guess only time will tell, right? Right. <laughs> um, so I guess the main question really is probably why someone would be listening to this, um, you know, training and episode is if they do have MS or, you know, and they've been recently diagnosed, you know, can, can someone with MS still run? Yes, absolutely. And again, there's a lot of variety with MS, but having MS doesn't mean that you should stop running or that you won't be able to run. Again, some of my clients that are still marathoners have had MS anywhere from five to 15 years, and it just hasn't affected them in that way. So they are able to continue running. However, it's really important that you do specific types of exercises because MS tends to attack, while it is so varied for each person, it tends to attack specific muscle groups. And so what I do with all of my clients, regardless of what type of MS or how long they've been diagnosed, is give them exercises for those specific muscle groups. Because if you lack on that and you only do big exercises like running, as you know, works so many different muscles. Like if you only run and you don't train individual muscle groups, you could get weakness in your hip flexors and not even realize it until it's actually impacting your running. So it's really important to run, of course, but also break down those exercises. So you're strengthening the areas that MS tends to attack first. Wow. I love it because anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while, they know how passionate I am about strengthening in order to run and like doing run specific strengthening exercises for runners. But what you're talking about is there are specific muscle groups that folks with MS need to really focus on, right? So kind of learning, um, you know, what those muscles are and making sure that they're not only running, but not only the strength training in order to run, but their strength training in order to manage their MS, right? And they're kind of learning what muscles. Yes. And the cool thing is that with some of the exercises, if they feel easy, like if, if you do have good strength there, that's great. The goal for you would be to maintain your strength. We want you to keep that. And so if your MS does progress, or if you have a relapse, hopefully you wouldn't even really know because you're starting off at such a stronger point. So when you're doing these specific exercises, they might feel easy or they might feel a little challenging. Like you didn't realize that you may have had some weakness there, but you never really know until you separate it out. Right. And I, I know, and that's, that's very common, um, you know, in our runners that I just had um, one of my clients yesterday who's doing, you know, a simple isolation exercise for like the side hip muscles, the glute medius. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm still doing now. He's like two months into, he's kind of progressing to like, we're rebuilding, right. We're strengthening, but he's like, Hey, I'm still doing that first exercise you gave me. Cause I still feel a burn with it. Right. And it's just like an isolation, you know, exercise for the uh, glute need. And um, it's just amazing. That's, you know, with muscle imbalances that are present, how, certain things are easy, but then other things, 
you know, you can kind of find those like points of weakness. And is that what you really try to do when you're working with someone with MS? Absolutely. And I, I always feel a little mean because I'll give them an exercise. And if I see that they're struggling, I get a huge smile on my face. So right. like, yes, we found it. Like this is one of the areas that you have weakness, even though you didn't realize it before. So yeah, my goal is to find those areas that are weakest and that they maybe do have some difficulty with, and then heavily focus on those. And those, the three biggest muscle groups that tend to be affected by MS are the hip flexors, the knee flexors, and the ankle dorsiflexors. So basically bending your hip, bending your knee and bending your ankle. And when you're running, you those are like three of the main movements. If you can't bend your knee or bend your hip or your ankle, you're going to notice that in your walking. So there's different exercises and different ways to get those working in a functional way. Because another thing with MS is, that as we know, as physical therapists, there's so many hip flexor exercises. I mean, I used to love the straight leg raise, you know, the, the lying down ones. But when you have MS, there's not that same carryover. So you could have, let's say, a five out of five strength with the straight leg raise, but you go to stand up and your hip flexors are shot. You, they, you don't, that carryover isn't there. So it's really important that not only are you strengthening those muscle groups, but you're doing it in a functional way so that it does carry over into your running. Right. So that makes, yeah, it makes sense to kind of use the muscle as it's being used for running and right. walking. Right. So they, they're strengthening it with more of what we call like specificity of training. And um, people may have been, you know, familiar with that term. And, you know, like earlier you were talking about being like early on a soccer player, right? Like Gretchen and I would, you know, train a soccer player very differently than a marathoner, right? Mm -hmm. Marathon running, you're pretty much running one direction, right? As opposed <laughs> to soccer players who are doing a lot of like, you know, cutting and running back and forth, side to side motions, backward running, right? You're doing a lot of different movements. So what you're saying is, you know, with folks with MS, it's really important to kind of strengthen the muscles in more like a functional position. So I guess, you know, what does that look like if someone, you know, wasn't familiar with like, I, I feel like the term too has been probably um, overutilized in the last decade or two of like functional exercise or functional training. Um, you know, if, how would you describe that as opposed to like having someone lie down and do a straight leg raise where they're kicking their leg up or they're lifting their knee up? Like what does functional training look like in your program? Yeah. So one goal that a lot of my clients are working on is walking better because if they can walk better, they can then just move about your day-to-day -day life easier, including running and stair climbing, these functional things. So what I like to do is break it down. So when, when I talk about functional exercise, I like to think of the goal at hand and then break that down into as many movements that's required to perform that big goal. So for walking, I have broken it down into seven movements. So in order, and this is similar to running too. So in order to walk, the first thing you need to be able to do is weight shift. You have to be able to shift your body weight forward. If you can't do that, you're not gonna be able to lift up a leg without falling backwards. So the first thing is you have to be able to shift your body weight. Then you need to be able to bend your knee, lift your ankle, bring your knee up towards the ceiling, straighten your knee, Put your heel down first, not your toes, heel down first. And then that entire time that was happening, you were standing on one leg. So that single leg balance. 
So walking, when you have a goal of walking, a lot of people will just practice walking, but you actually should be practicing those seven exercises in addition to the whole movement. So running is a little bit different. Um, as you know, like it's not exactly those specific steps, but that's what you would do is break it down. And then each of those movements are now your exercises in addition to the whole movement. Time to take a real quick break. And before I say any more, I truly hope the message so far today has benefited you either from a running or health standpoint. Staying in line with that theme, I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you a brand new exciting partnership with Naboso, which is a company that is dedicated to redefining what's underneath your feet so you can feel more to move better as a runner. From a movement prep before your runs to foot recovery after those hard speed workouts or long runs, Naboso's Texture Products lets your senses guide you and connects you to your exercises and your running by strengthening your feet and helping you recover from your runs. Want to learn more on how you as a runner can activate, strengthen, and recover from running? Listen to episode 116 on this podcast to learn from Naboso founder, podiatrist, and human movement specialist, Dr. Emily Splickle herself. We had a value-packed episode learning how she took her conventional podiatric medical degree and combined it with years of experience and expertise in human movement and sensory science to found Naboso. Dr. Emily shared with us the importance of foot stability for runners. What is sensory stimulation? The benefits of toe spacers and barefoot training for running. There's so much value in this episode, so be sure to go back and queue up episode 116 on the Healthy Runner podcast to listen to during your next long run to learn more about Naboso. I personally have always battled a mild case of plantar fasciitis and have been using the NeuroBall to get out those hard-to-reach trigger points in my deep foot muscles that foot rollers just frankly don't reach and get to. I have also been a big fan of the toe spacers for the past 10 years but have yet to find a pair that is actually flexible as comfortable, and that I can tolerate for hours to help realign my toes and stretch the small muscles in my foot. This has been clutch, honestly, for my claw toes that I have and helping my plantar fasciitis. I just love doing 10 minutes of elevation with my Naboso splay on after a long run. Naboso's recovery socks are like your traditional running compression socks, but they are the first ever that stimulate your nervous system and enhance movement with their patented textured surface on the inside of the sock. Matter of fact, as I'm reading this right now, I have on my Naboso splay toe spacers and I couldn't imagine my feet tolerating the hard half marathon training I am doing right now without some of these great products at Naboso. Learn more about how Naboso's Texture products connect you to your exercises and your running by strengthening your feet and helping you recover from your runs. Since you're a part of our Healthy Runner community, you will get 20% off all of your orders. Just use the code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order using the special link we have in our show notes. Go ahead and give Naboso a try and your feet will thank you for it. I know mine already have. Now let's get back into this episode. I love it. Um, makes sense to me. And the, if someone were doing these types of movements that you're talking about, you know, how does one go about that? Is it the uh, like standard traditional 
three sets of 10 that people may, oh, you know, go to the gym and, uh, you know, hop on a machine and do 10 repetitions for three sets. Like what is right. like the programming look like, or what do you, you know, usually, um, give your clients? Yeah. So the goal when you have MS is not as much number based, but quality based because when you have MS, of course, we're trying to strengthen the muscles, but first we're trying to strengthen the neural pathways and it can be, get a little hairy because when we're trying to strengthen the neural pathways, quality is so, so, so important because if you're practicing an exercise with poor quality, you're training your brain that that's what you want it to do. If you keep doing it over and over again, your brain thinks that it's right and it's training that movement. And that could end up resulting in pain or you tripping over your feet because you are slightly angled. So in terms of the number of repetitions that I tell my clients to do, the general number I start with is 30, but I'll just say 30. I won't say 10 times three sets. So 30 good quality repetitions, take as many rest breaks as you need. And for one person, that might mean that their first set is 10 good quality ones. But their second set, if you're a little fatigued, maybe it's six. Your third set might be four. Your fifth and sixth set might be three. You're, you know, and then you work your way up to 30. So that's generally the way that I prescribe exercises. And going back to when they're functional, the functional position for running is standing because that's the position that you're in when you're running. So doing the, you know, bending your knee, lifting your knee for marching, uh, balancing on one leg, that's going to be important to do in a standing position. But if you can't do a lot of repetitions with good quality, it's okay to sit down and do them at first or find a different position that you can do them in, but then work your way up towards the standing position. I love it. There's so much carryover um, between your philosophy of, you know, treating someone with MS and helping them get stronger um, to what we do with runners. And, and really, you know, one of the principles and like my five tips to kind of run, you know, healthy and strong is training on one leg, because we're always on run one leg when we walk. I mean, when we run, and when we walk, um, when we run, and, you know, doing a lot of specific exercises that require like the movements that you just mentioned, like a march, like some of my classic ones are like a reverse lunge into a march position, um, doing walking marches with overhead prep. Like there are mm -hmm. these different exercises that are in, you know, our healthy runner strength program that are very similar to like what you're working on um, with your clients with who have MS. So it's kind of cool to see that carryover and, and that, you know, the, the theoretical model is very similar. Um, so I, I, what I really love um, that I'm hearing is your approach for someone who has MS, who is a runner, is somewhat similar to, you know, my approach of having runners get stronger for running anyway. But from what I'm hearing is you really need to, you know, even pay more attention to quality over quantity and make sure that you're adjusting the level of difficulty of the exercise, depending upon where you're at, right? As opposed Absolutely. to just seeing a, you know, neat running specific exercise, we'll say it, right? On YouTube, or if you saw our Spark Healthy Runner YouTube channel and you're like, hey, this looks cool, let me try it. Um, you have to make sure that it is tailored for where you are in the disease process, 
right? And where you are in your journey. And I guess that might be a good segue into, um, you know, definitely the topic of fatigue. I remember fatigue was a big thing that I would educate my clients, you know, that I work with way back when about MS. And then also the topic of, I guess, let's start there first. And then we'll talk kind of foot drop because I know some um, runners with that, that might be like a symptom that they start to, um, you know, experience. Um, yeah. What, what's, what's going on with fatigue and like, why do individuals who have MS, um, have to worry about fatigue? Yeah. So great question. There's actually two different types of fatigue in MS. Primary fatigue means that you're feeling fatigued for no reason. Essentially, you got a great night's sleep. You didn't overexercise. You aren't stressed at all. You're just extremely fatigued. So that type of fatigue is caused from MS, from the disease process itself. But Secondary fatigue is when you are fatigued for a reason. So you did overexercise, you slept awful, you're super stressed, you're not staying hydrated. There's a reason for it. Now, when you have MS, your secondary fatigue is very, very, very different from someone who doesn't have MS. Someone who doesn't have MS, we all know what that feels like when you're feeling fatigued. But when you have MS, it can feel like your legs each weigh 50 pounds more that they're just, you cannot lift them up. It can make you, it can make it challenging to open your eyes. Like that's the level of fatigue that you might feel. So it's important to help manage fatigue. And as contradictory as this may sound, there's tons of research showing that exercise actually can reduce both primary and secondary fatigue. And I like to shout that out because usually when you're feeling fatigued, the last thing you want to do is exercise, Right. but it actually can help improve your fatigue. Right. And I think that is even a comment, you know, in folks who don't have MS, right? We hear that all the time in our running community. It's like, oh, if you're just feeling tired, listen to your body and just, you know, don't run and take extra days off. And sometimes that may be appropriate if, you know, you are on... I'm not a big fan of run streaks, but if you are a run streaker and you literally run every single day, yes, I believe you do need rest and recovery. Um, but there are times when we are feeling that fatigue and actually getting out the door. And even if it isn't, you know, super easy run or getting in your, you know, strength training exercises for running can actually make you feel less fatigued. Um, but so the same thing actually occurs with MS as well. And that's what the literature has shown. Yeah, and I think it's important to to identify which exercises you might be able to do even when you're feeling fatigued. So when you have MS, if you're have, having a high fatigue day, whether it's primary or secondary, I'm not saying, okay, go run five miles, even though you're fatigued, because exercise can help. But what I am saying is find some of the functional exercises for strengthening specific muscle groups and do some of those in a seated position that day, or maybe just focus on those slower because, you know, training for speed is different than training for strength. So maybe do them slower, only do 15 repetitions. You know, there's certain ways where you can modify it. And I think that's so important to mention because I grew up and I think most of us grow up just, I don't know, all or nothing, you know, 10 times three sets is what you do. And if you don't do that, well, don't, don't bother more weight, better gain, you know, 
And so I think it's important to understand there's different forms of exercise that are just as worthy than what you do on your best days. And those are the ones that you could do on the days that you're feeling fatigued. Yeah. And it, it makes sense in my mind, um, as far as what you mentioned before about the goal and the rationale for the exercises is training more of those neural pathways anyway, mm -hmm. right? So your yeah. goal isn't to necessarily like fatigue the muscle itself. Mm -hmm. um, the goal is to like improve movement patterns, right? And to get your body to work a little bit more like efficiently, right? And coordinate mm -hmm. those movements. And um, yeah, that, I, I think that's probably a great point that many people would not think about. And they would be like, oh, I'm tired and fatigued. I got to listen to my body. I'm not going to do anything. But actually, you know, doing some of these exercises and movements that you're talking about can actually help um, with some of that fatigue and maybe even give you more energy that you can, you know, be able to get your run in and kind of, I guess, you know, moving to that running point, um, I know one of the common, you know, signs or symptoms that someone might be experiencing is they're noticing maybe when they're out there running that one side is, you know, slapping the ground harder, or, you know, they're, they feel like loud on one side, or they have what we call like this foot drop, or maybe they notice they're needing to like lift their knee and their hip a little bit more on one side versus the other. Can you just talk about that a little bit in, in runners and like when they, what that would look like, like what would they notice during their runs? And then can you just share on some of the strategies that you often will help runners with? Yeah. So foot drop is in my experience, one of the most common symptoms, I would say 95% of the clients that I work with have some level of foot drop. And I actually like to differentiate foot drop versus foot slap. You know, when you hear yourself running or walking or foot scuff is a little bit different too. Generally speaking, it's due to weakness in certain muscles and tightness in other muscles. So there are exercises that you can do. Um, but what you might notice when you're running, especially at first, if you're newly diagnosed or this is just starting to become an issue for you, is you'll likely notice you can run a certain distance just fine. But when you get a certain distance or a certain time frame, you start to notice, as you just mentioned, you hear your feet as you're just, as maybe it's one foot or maybe it's both, but you hear your toes slapping or you feel your whole foot just putting more weight through the ground. Like it's almost like it's a careless leg. So you might notice that after a certain amount of time, you might also notice that you start tripping. That's one of the first signs you'll scuff your toe and it might just be once or twice, but it's memorable. Like you'll go home and you'll tell whoever you live with, oh, you know, I, I almost tripped today or I scuffed my foot. That's never happened before. So that might be something that you're on the lookout for. And another one that's a little bit sneakier is extra fatigue in usually it's one leg and it might be in your hip flexors. Like your hip just feels like so sore from that run or your, the back of your knee, your hamstrings might have really overworked to overcompensate to lift your leg more. So if you feel like really, really sore or fatigued in a specific muscle group on one leg, that's also usually a sign that your body is trying to overcompensate for a weak ankle that might have foot drop. Okay. So just so we don't scare all the runners who are listening to this and now heard 
uh, you mentioned those three things and they're like, this happens to me like every week, do I have MS? Um, you know, if someone was feeling that, hey, like, I think I feel this during my run, you know, what should they do um, about that? Like who should they go to or see, or, you know, what would you recommend? Yeah. So, and I, I totally understand it can sound scary. And there's been even phases of my life where everything that I do, I ask myself, do I have MS? And it's tricky because so many MS symptoms can also just be symptoms of aging or fatigue, or I don't know, like lots of things that we all experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And you don't necessarily have MS, but when you do have MS, it can be a symptom. So if we're talking about strengthening um, cause so one thing when I am working with a client who does have MS and foot drop is strengthening your ankle and stretching your calf, because the main reason for a foot drop is tightness in your calf muscle and weakness on the front of your shin. So practicing those strengthening and stretching exercises, if you do feel like it's not just those symptoms, but you do think, Hey, so many, so much of what I'm hearing actually does sound similar. And you have other symptoms too. The first person that you'd want to see to start this conversation is your general practitioner. They're the ones who can then refer you to a neurologist, but the neurologist is the person who would eventually, if they think it'd be appropriate, do the different tests, MRIs to see if there actually is something going on or it, maybe it's just nerve related, not MS. There's lots of other nerve diagnoses, pinched nerve even, that can cause very similar symptoms to what we're talking about. So it's not always MS, it's just one of the many, many different options, but a neurologist is the person that you'd see for that. Right, okay. Thank you for clarifying that uh, for our audience. And, you know, besides the foot drop and we talked fatigue, any other kind of special considerations um, you know, one sh should consider, um, if they have MS and they want to keep running and being active. Yeah. So one really, really important one is knowing about heat intolerance. So when you have MS, heat intolerance is extremely common. It doesn't happen for everyone, but it happens for a lot of people. And a lot of people assume that that means that when it's hot outside, your symptoms might worsen, but it's so much more than that. It's actually when anything that causes your core temperature to rise. So that absolutely could be the outdoor temperature and humidity, but exercise and stress are also things that cause our core temperature to rise. So when you have MS, exercising can cause your symptoms to worsen. So if anyone out there listening does have MS and does feel like, well, I can't run anymore because I just can't make it far at all. Or, you know, any type of exercise causes my vision to blur or my sensation changes to come back or weakness. Sometimes it's a really, really easy fix of just cooling your core temperature down. I remember specifically, I was working with a few runners who had MS a few years ago, and they were all saying the same thing of, you know, one person could run for 15 minutes, but not 20. Another one could run for one mile, but not two. And the only thing I had them do, I didn't give them strengthening exercises at first. I just said, sip ice, ice, ice cold water, tiny sips throughout the run. If you can bring it with you, wear a cooling vest before you even start your run, put it on. So be proactive about cooling yourself down and staying cool during the run. And for certain people, it works like a charm. And that's all they needed to do is just keep their core temperature lower while they were exercising and running. 
I love that. And this is actually a uh, topic that is front of mind um, for me as a marathon training. At the time of this recording, it is still um, the hot, humid uh, summer months here. And I'm stretching out my long runs to a place they haven't gone in five years and running 18 you know, miles in, in the heat and the humidity. And I think about cooling my core body temperature that, uh, down. One great tip is uh, for runners um, is wearing a hat, number one, protects you from the sun, right? But also what I do is I put ice literally in my hat and throw it on my head and I run with the ice on my head. And that's been like a gem. It just totally cools me down and prevents that like overheating feeling. So I would imagine that if someone with MS, that might be a nice way to really like cool that core body temperature down quickly. Absolutely. I've never heard that before. I love that tip. There's so many cooling products out there. You know, they have shirts even and shorts that are wicking. And so it'll help keep you cooler. There's vests, there's hats, there's neck wraps, there's even bras for women that can keep you cooler. Um, so I haven't done the ice on the head, but I love that. I will start sharing that with people. <laughs> Yeah. And then the other one is for those of your clients who, you know, are doing long runs and maybe they have the hydration vests. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times I'll put my water bottles in the freezer. So they're super cold. So when I put my vest on, it's almost like a cooling vest. Um, yeah. So for the first mile or two, it's a, it's cooling me down. Um, but other things that I have had, I have heard from other, um, you know, runners um, and, and people I've learned from before is kind of, I guess that cools down the most rapidly is like top of the head, back of the neck, um, the armpits. So if you can even put ice in, you know, the armpit area and even the wrists, um, for some reason, if we, you put ice on your wrists, that apparently cools your core body temperature down. Yeah. Know. You know, I don't know why this is such a vivid memory for me, but I remember being like 10 years old and my parents were having a party, maybe even like a birthday party. And I remember being so hot from just running around with my cousins. And I came inside and I was like complaining about how hot and uncomfortable I was. And my uncle was like, oh, cool your wrists down. And so I got an ice cube and I put it on my wrist. And ever since then, I'm like, that's all I need to do. Just cool my wrist down. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like when I heard it, I, I've been trying. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I would have never yeah. thought about that, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was training for one of my half marathons, as always, you know, I'd get, get overheated. And so the first thing I would do is just pull up the, my long sleeves and it felt like such a relief to get some fresh air on my wrists. Yep. Yep. Besides heat intolerance, any other special considerations? Well, one thing that kind ones? of, what's up? Sorry. I was just saying, or do we pretty much cover the main, the main ones? Yeah. I think we covered the main ones. Main theme here being though, listen to your body. You know, because if you're not listening to your body, you won't find some of these easy fixes or some of these exercises that are simple to do. You just need to add them into your routine. And so that, you know, heat intolerance, if you're not paying attention, you might just assume it's a bad MS day for you when really it's not. You just you're you're stressed or your exercise is causing your symptoms to worsen. You know, same thing with foot drop. Uh, there also are ankle. Um, I don't want to call them braces. It's like, it's kind of like an ankle brace. One of my favorites is called the dictus band. It, it can help with your ankle strength while walking and running. So if you're not aware of what's going on, it's harder to find solutions. So just listening to your body and making sure you take appropriate action. 
I love it. Um, listen to your body, guys. Um, so now we're coming down the final stretch. This is the last question we ask all our guests. Um, you know, if you can change one thing about the misconception of like living with MS, what would that be? I think one misconception is that, well, two. One is that you can always see the symptoms and you can't. Oftentimes there are a lot of invisible symptoms with MS and it's harder to talk about those because other people can't see it. So they assume you're not fatigued because you look fine. And so I think understanding all the different invisible symptoms and then again, taking action on those just as much as you would the physical symptoms. But also a huge misconception is that if you have MS, you're going to need a wheelchair someday, or you're going to need a walker someday, which is not true at all. And so many people are worried about using a rollator, a walker early on, because they assume that that's going to mean that they'll need a wheelchair down the road. But I love using rollators or walkers for my clients, even ones who are still runners, because by using them while you're exercising, it allows you to have that perfect quality form that we're looking for. And so everyone's path with MS is different. If you have MS, it does not mean that you're going to need a mobility aid at some point, or even if you do, you might need a cane one day, walker a different day. You know, it's not every day is going to be the same. And so there's so much that you can do to keep your strength, maintain. And then if you do have a relapse, even recover quicker. I love your positive um, outlook and mindset in really finding the ways to optimize someone's function who has MS and taking away the stigma of I have this diagnosis and that's the end, right? Or this is the end of my running journey, you know, and it, I just find so many like parallels on how you, you know, work with folks with MS and then someone who has like chronic plantar fasciitis or IT band syndrome. And they're, you know, they go to the ortho and they're just like, well, just stop running. You can't be a runner. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and I, I'm not okay with that answer. Right. And I yeah. can see that you're not okay with the answer of, you know, you have MS, let's just, you know, find the best ways to make you comfortable or how can we just provide you with aids that are going to make things easier for you. I love, uh, you know, I'm sensing from our conversation is that you have that similar mindset to like, Hey, what is this person's goals? Like, what do they want their life to look like? Or what were they doing? And how do we get them to be able to do that? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because there are still lots of neurologists. You know, I, I've been an MS specialist for seven years now. And back seven years ago, when I was newly into this field, there were still so many neurologists that didn't realize how helpful exercise was. They, they were not giving their clients scripts to go to physical therapy. They thought it would make them too fatigued because that used to be the thought. And, you know, depending on who your healthcare team is and what age they are, and if they stay up on research or not, you may have been told recently, stop running or, oh, exercise is going to make you more fatigued. Don't do it. So I hope this conversation can make you realize that there are lots of things that you can do. MS is not a death sentence. You can keep up the things that you're doing. Absolutely. Why should you stop? There's no reason to. So if you've ever been told something that felt discouraging to you, question it, do your research, and hopefully you can feel a little bit different. 
Yes. Amen. Amen to that. (laughs) And um, if someone, you know, either has MS or knows someone who has MS, um, you know, obviously from this talk, they can see, you know, how passionate you are, um, how much expertise you have in like maximizing someone's function, you know, where can those folks learn more about, you know, how you empower individuals with MS and be their strongest self, you know, where can they connect with you on all the goodness that you're providing for the MS community? Yeah, so I'm all over social media. So I do have a YouTube page, which is Dr. Gretchen Holly. I have an Instagram page, which is Dr. Gretchen. And I also have a Facebook group. But where all of my stuff lives, my online program is called The Missing Link, spelled M-S-I-N-G. And that's for people who not only need the exercises, like they want to know what these functional MS-specific exercises are, but they also need help implementing. They need to know what to do each day, why they're doing it in the first place. And they really need that guidance and support and accountability. Then The Missing Link would be for them. And that's on my website, which is missinglink.com. Nice. And even if someone was working with a local, you know, healthcare provider team, that is something that they can, you know, learn about more and participate in the missing link. Yes, absolutely. I I have several physical therapists who have signed up for my program because their client is like, Hey, you need to know this information. Like I want to do these types of exercises. And so they sign up too. Yeah. I love, I love what you've done in sharing your knowledge you know, not only with your local regional communities and, you know, talks that you've done, but how you're able to reach, you know, folks with MS worldwide and be able to help them um, with your amazing program. Uh, It is definitely a, for those of us in the online space, um, you are like the gold standard of how to, you know, have a program that is, you know, successfully helping individuals who are not in your local area. So, you know, I would highly encourage you guys to check out Gretchen's program. Um, She's doing some amazing things in, um, you know, the MS world. And um, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really fun. I learned a lot. And I even realized, honestly, and those uh, who are in the healthcare field or physical therapy, um, you know, spectrum, uh, will appreciate this comment in that we always look at like the neurotherapist and the orthotherapist. And from our conversation today, you really sold me on like, there's more similarities than there are differences in our fields. Yeah, there really is. And it, I think if you're an orthopedic PT or healthcare worker that works in a more functional way and, you know, specific way, there's so, so much overlap in what you're doing. Yes, indeed. Um, so yeah, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day, um, to share with our healthy runner community. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And guys, make sure you go ahead and follow, uh, Dr. Gretchen's Instagram account, uh, at dr.gretchen. As always, runners, let's maintain a strong mind, a strong body, and let's just keep on running. Until next time. Hey, healthy runners, have you been listening to this podcast for a while and have been implementing the strategies we talk about on a weekly basis? If so, 
kudos to you for taking action because we all know those that are successful are those that take action. However, I do talk to many of you runners and you guys are trying to implement the strategies. Maybe you've seen some exercises on my Spark Your Training YouTube channel, but you're just not sure if that is exactly what you should be doing depending upon your situation. So if you're looking for clarity and focus in order to be able to collapse time so you don't have to figure it out all by yourself, that is exactly what we take care of with our team of experts in our one-on-one personalized run coaching program to get you stronger and faster so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. What do you get when you sign up for the Healthy Runner Coaching Program? You get 16 weeks of one-to-one run and strength training, coaching, and accountability. You get strategic one-on-one deep dive coaching on a monthly basis. You get focused feedback on your training on a weekly basis. You get the strength program for running resource library and you get lifetime access to that. You also get an online personalized structured run and strength plan. You get a community of like-minded runners and then access to our trusted healthy runner coaching team made up of certified run coaches, a physical therapist, a registered dietitian, and personal trainers and fitness instructors. If you are interested in seeing if you are a good fit to work with myself or anyone on our team, then just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Check out the behind the scenes video tour of the program and hear from runners just like you who have been through our program before. We would love to provide you the clarity on what you should be focusing on in your training, whether it is getting stronger with strength training, the specific types of runs you should be doing, or the nutrition you should be fueling your body with for those runs. If you're ready to get the support and accountability you need to take action and put the work in, then I would love to hop on a call with you to see if you're a good fit for a one-on-one healthy runner coaching program. Just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching and get signed up for your enrollment strategy call with me today. Thanks so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's four ways I can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at sparkyourtraining. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner in Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash sparkyourtraining. Five, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential runners and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner to help you get stronger, faster, so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. Lastly, if you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner and want one-on-one structure, accountability, and support, from our Healthy Runner coaching team, check out the behind the scenes video tour of our coaching program and the stories from many of our athletes who are struggling with the same sticking points that you are right now. Just head to programs.sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Thank you again. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening. Now go and crush your run today.